Hi, guys, and welcome to the first episode of season two of the Healthified podcast. It is so good to be back. I'm your host, Sarah McLaughlin, holistic health coach, writer, and wellness entrepreneur who has for over 15 years delved deeply into my passions of nutrition and health. Not only have I come to better understand the tools we can use to become healthier human beings, but I love gaining new insights and perspectives from others in the field and sharing the health with all of you. This episode of Healthified is brought to you by our sister company, Gratified, a natural foods company I launched in order to make a more impactful change in the packaged food space. Our products are made with real food ingredients and blood sugar balance in mind. For a discount, visit Gratified.com and use the promo code Healthified at checkout. I am so excited about today's guest. Missy Franklin is a five-time Olympic medalist in swimming and one of the sweetest people, which you will soon realize when you hear more about her in this episode. I was connected to Missy by my dear friend and Missy's first cousin, Kylie, because Kylie figured she would love our gratified products and she was right, but we have stayed connected ever since. And she just happens to be a new mom, just like me. And so in this conversation, we discuss Missy's path to extreme success, the role that her upbringing played in it all, and her take on nature versus nurture and getting her to where she is today, how she navigated comparing herself to others and dealing with imposter syndrome at such a young age, the power of belief, self-talk, and awareness for your thoughts in achieving goals and overall happiness, and why she believes self-love is the opposite of being egotistical. What happened when Missy started to put pressure on herself in combination with attempting to meet the expectations of others rather than just purely swimming for the love of the sport? The importance of gratitude and presence in her daily life? The tool of visualization, how she used it in her swimming career and the difference in how she uses it today. It's an amazing episode and I'm so excited to have it kick us off in season two. Let's head to our chat. Hi, Missy. Hi, Sarah. How are you? I'm good. I'm so happy to have you on the Healthified podcast. Thank you so much for coming on. Oh my gosh, my pleasure. I'm so excited to be here. So happy to talk to you and I can't wait for our conversation. Yeah. So this conversation is going to be one for the books. Um, For those of you all listening, Missy Franklin is a five-time Olympic gold medalist and multiple world record holder in the sport of swimming. She was raised in Centennial, Colorado and began swimming competitively at the age of five and competed in her first international event at the age of 14. She is an inspiration for athletes and women and just people all over the world. Um, She became a household name during the 2012 Olympic Games in London, where she won four gold medals and one bronze medal, becoming one of the most decorated athletes in the history of the Games. Upon retiring from competitive swimming in December of 2018, Missy now lives in Denver with her husband, Hayes, and their dog, Ollie. Um, She also continues to make public appearances and maintains several noteworthy endorsements. And she um, is also a certified bar instructor, which I want to get into in a little bit. So Missy, I think it goes without saying that it's an absolute pleasure to have you on here. Um, and if you could just take some time to tell everyone a little bit more about your background and story and how you got to where you are. 
Yeah, absolutely. So I'll try not to talk for the next hour with that, <laughs> um, but I'll condense it as, as, as best I can. So I definitely had a little bit of an unconventional upbringing um, because I just found love in the sport of swing and talent and success at a very, very early age. So I feel so fortunate. I wouldn't change my path for the world, but I was competing, like you said, on international competition when I was 14, 15 years old, and then went to my first Olympic games, which was my most successful at 17. So I was so young. I was so naive, but I think so much of that actually really played into my success because I truly just loved what I was doing. I, I loved to swim more than anything in the whole entire world and to be able able to do it while representing my country and something that is just so much bigger than myself. It meant everything to me. I mean, that had been my dream since I was a little girl. So I had a wonderful first several years kind of coming up onto the scene. And then I decided to remain amateur after the games in London, um, essentially meaning that I didn't take on any endorsements or money so that I could still swim in college. Cause that was something that was very, very important to me. So I went to the university of California, Berkeley and swam collegiately for two years before turning professional going into my second Olympic games, which was Rio in 2016. And another part of my story that's very unique is kind of my juxtaposition in experiencing extreme success and extreme failure on my sports mm -hmm. biggest stage, which is the Olympic games. 2012 for me was a dream come true. Um, really everything I could have ever wished for and more. And 2016 was the total opposite. It was a complete failure, a total disappointment for me. And so I've really just learned so, so, so much going through the ups and downs of my, my journey and my career as an athlete. And eventually in 2018, I was forced to retire due to injury. I sustained a shoulder injury prior to the games in 2016 and had bilateral shoulder surgery and a million and one hours of PT and eventually found out I was going to need another bilateral shoulder surgery, which at the time would have put me less than a year out from the Tokyo games if they had been in 2020. Mm. And I just knew that that course of action for me was not going to be the best and that I wasn't going to be the best I could be. So I retired in 2018 at the, the ripe old age of 23. <laughs> <laughs> I am now 25. And since then, I just feel so grateful. I still work with a lot of the companies that sponsored me while I was training and competing and several new ones, which has been so fun. And I'm still using this platform that swimming gave me hopefully to inspire um, and to really engage with as many people as I can. And I get a lot more time now to work uh, with things on the philanthropic front, which is so important to me that as an athlete, when you're training, the kind of irony of it is you get so many amazing opportunities, but you can't really take any of them because your priority is swimming. It is training all the time. And so when I retired, I finally had that time to travel and to go with these different companies and to engage with different nonprofits and organizations and really spend my time engaging in that and figuring out 
okay, now that I'm out of the pool, where can I make my biggest impact? So that has just been so, so, so fun. And day to day, like you said, um, obviously this last year has looked different for everyone. Normally I travel multiple times a week. Um, so it's actually been, you know, one of the silver linings for sure of this past year of just being able to stay home and, and be in one place with my husband and with my dog and just kind of enjoy this time together. Yeah. Um, but I teach bar, um, I teach swim lessons, um, at a company safe splash and swim labs that oh. also represent, which has been so, so, so fun. Uh, so it, it's been wonderful. You know, I think there's a lot of talk and fear around that transition of being a professional athlete that, that is retiring. And I recognize that I had so much support during my transition and was just surrounded by so many people who made that transition as easy as it possibly could be, but it has been a wonderful wonderful, wonderful two years post-retirement. And there's still so much more to look forward to. Yes. And I mean, I bet you all can hear, I mean, and, and I can see Missy's face, but just the like light that you are and your attitude just about everything. And, um, you know, just a little backstory on how Missy and I got connected. Um, and this is before I even knew too much about your story. I, I knew who you were, but, um, your cousin Kylie trained me privately in yoga and, um, it became very apparent the first time I talked to you that y'all were related and yes. there's <laughs> my cousin <laughs> and I are literally identical twins, <laughs> except for the fact that she's like a foot shorter and is, uh, I mean, we couldn't be more different physically, which is hysterical, but I mean, the, our personalities are, I mean, just exactly the same. <laughs> yeah. And there's just like an energy and a lightness about your attitude, which, you know, when I started reading your book, as, as I mentioned, relentless spirit and preparation for our talk, I was like, okay, this makes sense. You know, just, um, and you, you did talk a lot about that book, about your upbringing, um, and about your parents and, and the crucial role that they played in, um, getting you to where you are today. So that almost got me thinking, um, and just obviously there were some traits and some values, um, hard work, dedication that were just inherent in you as a person, but have you ever thought about kind of the nature versus nurture aspect of your path and like how much that played into it and what the difference kind of was for you? Oh, without a doubt. And it's something that we still talk about all the time. And actually that's part of what my parents do now is they actually talk to parent groups, um, mainly mm. with swimming, but also throughout sport, um, of different organizations and teams that reach out and they want resources for the parents. You know, it's awesome to have Olympians and national team teamers come in and talk to the kids and right. have kids get something out of it. But so often the parents need that too. Right. Yes. Mm -hmm. And my, my mom and dad are the two best people that I know. They're absolutely wonderful. And when I look back, I think the older I get, the more appreciation I get for mm. what we all went through as a family. I mean, here they are. I'm an only child. So their only daughter is 14, 15 years old and is being put on a world stage. Right. And they're trying to figure out, oh my gosh, you know, how do we handle this? How do we support her? How do we keep her Missy, you know, yeah. like, and there's just so much that goes along with that. And I think a huge thing that my parents did that was so crucial. And they talk about this all the time is that they really just enabled me. They mm -hmm. never enforced anything. So when I was getting up to go to practice at four 30 in the morning in the Colorado winter, you know, 
they never came into my room to wake me up. That was my decision. Mm -hmm. Swimming and making an Olympic team was my goal. So if Mm -hmm. I wanted to go to practice and get better, I was going to be the one to set my alarm and get out of bed in the morning. Right. Meanwhile, my mom was downstairs making a breakfast and my dad would pull the car out and was getting it warmed up and scraping all the snow off. So I knew that essentially if I got up to go to practice, I would have everything that I needed to be successful in that. Mm-hmm. You know, I would have the warm car and the breakfast just to get in and to go, but they would never come into my room to actually wake me up. That was my my decision for myself. And that's just a small example, but they did that on a major scale of this is your dream, this is your goal. We're here to support you however we can. But that took so much of the pressure off of it because I did realize, you know, this is something I want for myself. Like they obviously want me to be happy and to achieve my goals, but this is my goal and this is what makes me happy. And so it it really even got to the point where I would actually think about my mom and dad before I raced to calm my nerves because I knew that no matter what happened, they were going to be proud of me and they were going to love me, you know, knew I was going to give my best every single time. And I knew whether I got first by a mile or dead last, my mom was going to give me a huge hug and say, you did your best. I'm proud of you. And I love you. And I mean, as a, as an athlete, as a child, that's like all you can ask for. Right. And I'm sure you saw that and witnessed that amongst your teammates, especially at a young age where, I mean, kudos to your parents. That's a beautiful thing to be able to instill that sense of responsibility, like yeah. self-responsibility and intrinsic motivation and not have you attach something or the drive or the ambition or the achievement to something external, like their approval, right? And I feel like a lot of kids, unfortunately, go through that growing up. And then, you know, without consciousness for it, it just, it follows you into adulthood. Um, So did you see that amongst other kids where, you know, they, they felt like they had parents that were kind of pushing them and pressuring them and it just sort of kind of dampened the experience for them where it didn't even become fun anymore. Yes, absolutely. And I still see that now as a coach with my athletes that come in that I teach on a daily basis. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it's, it's so heartbreaking because, you know, in most cases, parents aren't doing it on purpose. Mm -hmm. Um, Sometimes they're often completely unaware that they're doing it at all. And they're just not seeing the impact that it has on their kids. And I think teaching that intrinsic motivation is so important because just like you said, that is something that is going to carry with us for the rest of our life. And I think that's the beauty of sport is it teaches you so many life lessons without you feeling like you're being taught so many life lessons, right? Right. At the time, it's just fun. Like you're hanging out with your friends, you're exercising, you're being active, no matter what you're doing, you're part of a team. It's, it's just really enjoyable. And as you get older and as you move on, you're kind of realizing, oh my gosh, I learned dedication. I learned time management. I learned how to be a good teammate. I learned how to work well with others. Like it's just, there's so much that comes with that. And I think obviously, you know, everyone has their own past and their own history. And we have no idea the place that parents are coming from when maybe they're putting some more pressure on their kids that they're either intending to or not intending to. And so often parents are just wanting the best for their kids and it might just be going about it in, in a different way. But I think the number one thing that us as a family have told everyone else is especially parents is 
look for what your child is passionate about. Look Mm -hmm. for what they love because that is going to carry them further than anything else. Yes, more than talent. Your kid might be so talented at something, but if they hate it and you're the one that's pushing them to practice every day and getting them to go, it's going to make them not only resent the sport, but potentially even resent you, which is just an absolute no-win situation for anyone. When they love what they're doing, that motivation, that dedication, that comes easier, even on the hardest of days, because you love it. You enjoy what you're doing. And find what your kids are passionate about, what they love, and encourage them and support them in that in the best way that you can. Yeah. And I think that that is such a wonderful thing that you discovered that at such a young age, because I know for me personally and other people I've talked to, I mean, there's probably people a lot older than we are that still don't have something that they're passionate about. Right. And, and for me, mine really developed in my late twenties. Um, so it was almost as if I feel as if I was going through high school and college kind of lost, just not really figuring out and knowing myself. And I feel like I get the sense that you, started to really know yourself and your heart and your spirit at such an early age. Um, but also at the same time, you came face to face with a lot of the human things that we face as an adult um, that I kind of read about in your book. And you talk about being 14 and traveling overseas um, and swimming amongst the best in the world in these international competitions. and. You know, I imagine there would have to be some sense of comparing yourself to others or imposter syndrome. Um, How did you navigate those emotions at such a young age? And did you even kind of know what they were when they were showing up for you? Totally. I absolutely experienced those. I don't think at the time I really fully understood what it was, but I love that you mentioned, mentioned imposter syndrome because there's a story I tell in the book about it was my first international competition and we were over in Manchester, England, and we had this big walkout and it's called duel in the pool. So it's where the mm. best of team USA battles, the best of team Europe. And it's like a country versus country duel meet. It's so, so, so fun. Mm-hmm. So you do this like big, epic, intense walkout. We had like boxing robes. Like it, it was amazing. It was so fun. <laughs> but we had these little teddy bears that we were supposed to sign and throw into the crowd. And I read about this in my book that I literally was dead terrified that I was going to throw my teddy bear and someone was going to look at it, look at my signature and say, who is that? And throw it back at me. Like that was, I seriously was walking out going, I'm going to get nailed in the head with my own teddy bear because someone's going to catch this and be like, uh, no, we don't know what this is. We don't want this. Yeah. The stories we tell ourselves, right? (laughs) I really felt that. I mean, being so young, feeling that lack of experience compared to, I mean, swimmers whose posters I had on my wall. Like, I think that's the amazing things about swimming is so many of the best had such a longevity in the sport that like, I grew up watching these athletes and now I'm swimming on relays with them. So like all of that was just so new And I genuinely have to credit my teammates and my coaches because they were the ones, of course, my parents were there supporting me the whole time. But when we're talking about practices and traveling together and spending time together, my teammates and my coaches were the ones that convinced me, you deserve to be here. You know, like just because you're 14, just because this is your first time around, 
that doesn't make you any less worthy to be on this pool deck than any one of us. And we're happy to have you and we're excited you're here and what you're going to bring to the team. And that's just the culture that Team USA has. And I think yeah. that's so beautiful and so powerful. And that's something I get asked a lot too, is, you know, is, is what we see on TV during the Olympic games, especially as it relates to the swim team, you know, is that real? Like, are you guys really that close? Do you really care that much about each other? Absolutely. And yeah. that's been one of the most amazing things is, is the people that I have met that I have had these experiences with. And that helps a lot with the comparisons, because when you think about it, it's so crazy that during an Olympic year, our Olympic trials is four weeks out from the Olympic games. Mm -hmm. So we go from competing head to head against one another for a spot on the Olympic team mm -hmm. to competing as a team together as one unit in four weeks. Right. Like that is a huge jump to make. And we're so good at doing it. And I yeah. think that's why we've had so much success in the sport continually for so many years, because we're really able to come together as a team and we can race and be competitive and uplift and encourage each other at the same time. Yeah. And I think anytime you go through something, whether it's playing on a sport or I'm immediately thinking about when I got trained in bar and I trained with two other girls and, um, you know, one of them was a bridesmaid in my wedding. Like you just, you develop this connection and this sense of understanding and compassion, especially when you're going through something that might be um, categorized as grueling or just take a lot of effort. And they're there to be your biggest cheerleaders. And, you know, I, I feel as if that's probably what was going on on such a larger scale for you and your teammates. But, you know, if you had any feelings of self-doubt um, or a feeling of failure. Like I'm sure your teammates were there just building you up so that that connection only got stronger. Oh, without a doubt. And it, it teaches you to how to deal with those feelings too. You yeah. know, absolutely. It, it helps so much to get that from other people, but we need to make sure we're getting that from ourselves too. That when we start to feel those comparisons or those self doubts, that we're able to look inward and kind of go to ourselves to say, no, you know, you are capable of doing this. You, you do deserve this. This is what you've worked for. Like, look at what you bring to the table. Look at these unique things that you as a person can offer, you know, on and off the sporting table in and out of the bar room, like whatever it is, like there's yeah. just so much that you can give that, you know, someone else in this exact same position would give something different because that's just who they are. And it's not good. It's not bad. It's, it's you. And so like, give the most of what it is that you have to offer and know that that's amazing. And that's incredible. And that's going to make an impact in its own special way. Yeah. And I'm so happy you mentioned that because, you know, I was going to um, have you elaborate on it because I feel as if the imposter syndrome can be a phenomenon in, in anything. You know, I felt it multiple times in my life, whether it was health coaching or writing my cookbook or now running gratified. And, you know, it's that question that comes up, like, who am I to, you know, blink and, you know, thanks to social media, both being a blessing and a curse, I think, that can happen more often, this feeling of imposter syndrome, um, as well as knowing that a lot of people who are open and vulnerable about it are talking about it. And I think having belief in yourself and talking to yourself in a very loving way is something that's very difficult for people because um, they're not really taught or um, told how to do it or that we, that we should be talking to ourselves in a loving way. Right. And, and 
a lot of what I talk about as a health coach and just um, in the realm of like awareness for your thoughts is that sometimes, you know, what causes us the most stress is the voice in our own head and people don't really understand that. So what would be your advice to someone who is kind of in this darker place of those feelings of doubt and um, imposter syndrome and how to kind of shift that inner dialogue. Absolutely. I, I would say too, um, the first one, and this was something that really, really helped me. And it's never say anything to yourself that you wouldn't say to your sister or to your best friend. Mm-hmm. And that applies to just so many different scenarios, whether it's mental health, whether it's imposter syndrome, like if I had a sister and if she was running a business and she came to me and said, I don't feel like I'm capable of doing this. Who do I think I am? I would like hypothetically smack her across the face and be like, right. Are you kidding? like you can change the world. Like, you can <laughs> And yet I would have such a hard time saying that to myself. And I yes. think that brings me to part two, which this is not to um, kind of belittle the man's experience at all, but I think particularly in our experience as women, we have that extra pressure to not be egotistical and to mm. all the time. And I think that really plays into that because then all of a sudden, if we start to feel like we're having these thoughts of self-love or positivity, and we're trying to tell ourselves we can do something, for me, at least I'll speak for myself, I was worried that that would come off sounding egotistical and that people would think that I was full of myself because I believed I was capable of doing something. And that took me a long time to kind of learn that, A, people are going to think what they're going to think. I just show up and be my most vulnerable, authentic, truthful self. And that's all I can ever do. And B, telling myself that I can do something, telling myself that I believe in whatever it is that I want to achieve that is not egotistical at all. I mean, that is the furthest thing in the world from that. So again, kind of like rewiring that in my brain to just say, you know what, I can be my own biggest cheerleader and greatest supporter. And that doesn't have to go to my head. You know, I can still be humble. I can still be thoughtful and support myself at the same time. Yeah. And I think that is such a good point to bring up. And I do want to clarify that actually being very loving towards yourself is the opposite of ego because, and I do a lot of inner work and I read a lot of Eckhart Tolle and spiritual books and things like that. And, um, this last book by Eckhart Tolle that I read a whole new earth talks a lot about the ego and the ego would actually be put in the camp of the really mean voice. Right. And the, the true authentic self, the loving voice, the cheerleader, that would be like your, self, like quote unquote you, which is not your thoughts, which it, we're not going to go down that rabbit hole, but um, <laughs> we could have a whole other conversation for a different day about ego, Missy. But um, so I think that it's, that's really important point to drive home is that when you speak very lovingly to yourself, that is actually the opposite, um, according to spiritual leaders of what ego is. <laughs> so I'm, I'm so glad you brought that up. Um, but, you know, kind of on a a different note, having to do with all of that though, like, please correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't believe that you become, um, an Olympic athlete winning multiple gold medals without putting some kind of pressure on yourself. Yes. Um, so what I found though, that when it kind of comes to an end of the spectrum, that's very extreme, it can backfire. Did you ever find the pressure you put on yourself backfired for you? 
You know, I think it was kind of a combination for me. I think this is why my Olympic games in Rio, part of the reason why it was such a disappointment and such a failure for me was I think that kind of double combination of the pressure I was putting on myself and for the first time, the pressure I was really starting to feel from others, which as I Mm. mentioned before, being so young and so early in my career at my first Olympics, I was so naive and that really played in my favor because Mm -hmm. I wasn't listening to what other people were saying. I was just enjoying it and having fun and people had no idea who I was. And they were just so surprised that I was coming out here and doing all these wonderful things. And, and that was my goal going into it, you know, like that, that had been my expectation for myself going into those games. Um, But for everyone else, you know, that was new and exciting, which, which made the experience wonderful. But you know, four years later, it's, it's a totally different scenario where now people not only know me, but they know me as the swimming phenom that came in four years ago and won four golds and a bronze. So now not only are they expecting me to perform at the same level, they're expecting me to do better. And it's like, I set that bar pretty high. (laughs) Well, and so going into 2016, knowing, all right, now this time around, it's not just about making an Olympic team. It's not just about going there and competing. It's not just about winning one medal. It's about winning five and they all have to be gold because they all need to be better than what I did last time. Like it just started to weigh on me, like the weight of the world and physically that's what it felt like swimming with it. And so I think that was something I really, really struggled with that as much as I told myself you know, I've worked as hard as I possibly can. And all I can do is go out and do my best and be the best that I can be. I think what really hurt my heart and, and my love for the sport was I started to swim out of fear of disappointing other people. Mm. And that really took a toll on me emotionally, physically, because again, I had always swum because I loved it and it brought me joy and it was something I was passionate about. And for the first time in my life, instead of swimming out of love, I was swimming out of fear. And I think the toll that that took on me, the toll that it took on my swimming was just greater than really I could have ever imagined. Yeah. And I think, you know, that was definitely very apparent in the contrast there. It just seems as if, especially as you were starting out and as a little kid and that you were almost in this flow with it and you weren't too much in your head and you were just doing it because it made you happy. And I think that's really important for people to hear, you know, whether um, they're trying to achieve or go after something in the realm of the physical, like getting healthier or playing a sport or what have you, or just in life and career or bettering relationships, is that what you getting more into the flow and the experience of it without being attached to an outcome, or like you said, looking through a lens of fear and rather, um, joy and love and play almost, you know, I've, I've talked to other people about this, this missing piece of our life puzzle is play. And I feel as if people need to kind of incorporate that more into their lives. So, um, no, I think that that's really important for you to kind of distinguish because that's definitely, um, very apparent. And I think, you know, a lot of people could probably relate to that shift and have things kind of feel as if it's falling apart a little bit. Yeah. And it's kind of that vicious cycle, right? Yeah. The more success you get, the harder that is to do, right? Right. So you're working towards the success, but the more you get, 
again, the, the harder it is to get that play aspect in there. And I love that you said that because that was actually something my college coach reiterated so often. And even during practices, like we would literally set aside time to play in the water. And mm. she would literally have us imagine that we were six, seven, eight years old at our neighborhood pool, pretending to be mermaids, diving for hidden treasure. Like, and here we are like trying to win a national title, but like, yeah, going back to that is just, it's so crucial. And it's so important because again, we talk about how important it is to love what you're doing and to have that passion for it. And sometimes when you get that success, that always comes with more pressure. And the more pressure there is, the harder it is to kind of find that playfulness in it. Right. So really working to find that balance of, okay, yes, I can motivate myself. I can push myself to be the best that I can be. I can want to achieve great things. And I can also love what I'm doing and have a blast while I'm doing it all at the same time. So even from an early age and like into your teens, did you have this sense of groundedness? Like, I, I guess it's funny because I was talking to my life coach relatively recently and I was like this whole concept of feeling grounded. Like, I don't even know what that means. And we had a little bit of a conversation about that, but I imagine with something physical, like being an athlete, there is a very um, fine attunement to being in your body. Right. So did you have that sense, both like emotionally and physically of like feeling grounded of where you were? I think so. I think definitely emotionally, um, physically mm -hmm. a bit of a different story. I was six feet since I was 13. So <laughs> at the time I just felt really gangly and awkward. Um, pool was somewhere where I felt like home, you know, like that was where I felt like I was meant to be. So physically in that sense, yes. And then emotionally, I think so much of that just goes to my parents because another thing that we did really well, and this is in my mind, such a crucial part of feeling grounded is having balance in your life. Mm -hmm. And despite having that success at such an early age, my parents and I made it really our top priority to make sure that I was still just being a 13 year old, a 14 year old, yeah. a 15 year old, that I was, yes, swimming and working hard for my goals every day, but also going out and getting ice cream with my friends or going to see a movie or just like having that time to just find that normalcy. Yeah. Again, when that balance is lost, that's where I think pressure can kind of seep in again, because it becomes almost all consuming and it really becomes everything you're focused on in your whole life. And when you can balance that with knowing that, you know, it's going to be okay. No matter what happens, like look at everything else you have in your life. You have family, you have friends, you have school and education and you have swimming, you know, it, right. it's all of these things. It's not just swimming. And so I think that that really, really helped me. And again, something that I think impacted me in 2016 was I lost that balance. And I think that was a, definitely a reason that that pressure started seeping in. I started feeling kind of like I'd never felt before because I really, I didn't have that balance. I didn't have that groundedness that I did growing up as that young girl on the scene. And so it, it took a while and a long period of healing after that yeah. to refine that again. Yeah. And it sounds like that you had a big sense of gratitude as you were kind of going along this path. Absolutely. I could, oh my gosh, talk about gratitude for 10 years. Um, <laughs> Let's talk about it. 
<laughs> I literally think gratitude is just one of the most life-changing practices that you can do. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is something that I think I actually really learned even more so once I got to college. Again, that was something that my coach implemented was we did gratitude lists every single week and mm. we'd sit together and we would share two or three things from our, our gratitude list. And the thing I, I love about gratitude is it's always there for you and it will always make you feel better. Like, it's just one of those things that's like, it's a constant for me that if I ever need to pick me up, if I'm having a tough day, the second I'm able to flip my perspective and even spend five minutes, just thinking about all the things that I'm grateful for the way that that shifts my attitude, my perspectives, my thoughts, like it's instantaneous and it works every single time. And not for that to be like a blanket cure by any means. Like I've been through a really, really hard time. And yes, I've used gratitude through that, but that doesn't mean I didn't go through a really hard time, you know, like we all experience that, but I think having it be a part of your daily practice, it's just, it can really just open your eyes to even the most small and significant things in your life. And that promotes mindfulness and that promotes peace. And, you know, it's just, everything is kind of, again, just interconnected. And for me, so much of that stems back to just this idea of gratitude and being grateful. Um, and it's still something that I try so hard to do today. Yeah. And there's this saying that it's like, if you feel gratitude, it's actually impossible in that same moment to feel fear or anxiety or anything negative. Now that's not to say, and I'm glad you brought that up that, you know, you should have compassion for your humanness and the fact that it's okay to feel negative emotions, right? Like feel your feelings by all means, but there can, it can be laced with something more positive, like gratitude. And all you have to do, like you said, is just stop and just think about, you know, it doesn't even have to be the list of 10 things. It could be just the one thing that you're grateful for. And, um, and if anyone ever needs a suggestion, just the fact that you can feel your breath, right. And, um, and and to get down to the basics of it, do you have a formal gratitude practice now? So I do, I still write gratitude lists every single day. Um, I do mine. I have a little prayer journal. Um, so I write mine in my prayer journal and it's just, it's so fun to see how it changes day to day. You know, sometimes they're huge things. Like sometimes like I'm so grateful for my husband and for my mom and dad and for their health and for our house and, you know, like really, really big monumental things. And other days it's like, I am so grateful for the way your hands get warm around a cup of coffee in the morning. I I wrote that this morning. That was on my gratitude list. It was my hot cup of coffee. Oh my gosh. I know sometimes when I'm like, and I wasn't even having one of those days. Like sometimes it's like hard to think of. And I, but I was just, I actually had gotten this new cup. I don't know if you've heard of it. It's the Ember cup where like, (laughs) yep. Where like my husband and I would have to keep microwaving our cups of coffee. So I found this Ember cup from a friend and I was like, I am so grateful that my coffee is staying hot. You know, it's just like it's right. one of those little things in life. <laughs> it's so fun. Like it can literally be some of the smallest things. Yeah. And those are those are so fun too, because again, I feel like that just helps you be really in tune. And something that um, my husband and I both have kind of founded our relationship upon. And this is sort mm-hmm. of we have a relationship word um, ever since we've been dating and it's it's present and mm. um, just really be present with each other in the moment 
with whoever we're with, like, I think obviously life moves so quickly, right? Yeah. We all know this and, and yeah. we don't know where we're going to end up or what's going to happen. And we can plan the best that we can, but ultimately, you know, change is sort of the one thing that we can always expect, you know? Yes. And, and so I think for good or for bad, you know, not being so excited about something in the future that you're missing out on what's right in front of you. Or if you're going through a really hard time, knowing that there are beautiful things to look forward to and trusting that what you're going through in that moment is providing you with something that's yes. so beautiful and so powerful on the other side of that. So as best you can trying to be present, even if it hurts and even if it's hard. And so that's just been something that I think gratitude has helped me so much with because it just yeah. it gives you that time during the day to stop and be like, okay, yeah, this might've happened. This might've not gone my way. This was a big inconvenience. And I could focus on that. And again, like you said, it's okay to get impatient with that stuff and get frustrated. Right. And again, feeling our feelings is so important and, and not labeling them as good or bad, just accepting them and letting them flow and acknowledge them. Mm-hmm. But then, you know, where do you go from there? Right? right. Like, okay. Yeah, that was rough, but guess what? Like, my husband is the best person I've ever met. And at the end of the day, I get to cuddle him in bed and everything is going to be okay. Like I'm going to yeah. make it to that point and that's all I care about. So I think it's just something that um, is really important to both of us and something that I know we both really are going to try hard to implement into our family's lives as our yes. family grows. I think, you know, there's really never too early of an age to teach your kids about gratitude and appreciation and about giving back and the importance of that. So it's going to be so fun to see how our practices change uh, when we have kids. I know you're going to be an amazing mother. And I'm going to talk about that a little bit down the road. And I I say the same thing to Alex and I'm like, we're just going to teach consciousness, consciousness from such an early age. And um, it is so important. And, you know, one of the things that you mentioned that it reminds me of kind of using the power of hindsight now. So you like, you know, when you like, you're going through a really tough time, but then like years down the road, you look back and you're like, I'm really glad that happened because this then happened afterwards, or I learned this lesson or it helped me take me to my next, you know, stepping stone, whatever, what have you like more times than not, when we go through something tough, it, we end up looking back and it's either like not as bad. Now, again, I'm not minimizing if you're going through a tough time, but it, it tends to kind of crack open something in you or propel you forward. So it's using that hindsight perspective in the midst of it can be really comforting. Um, and, and that's just, again, kind of also a practice of presence of, of just being like, I'm gonna be okay. Like I've been through tough things before, um, I navigated it and I'm strong enough to come out of this the other side. Yeah, I love that. I can't remember, I, my husband and I are both huge Pelotoners and I can't remember which instructor said this, but I loved it so much. And she said, you've made it through a hundred percent of your bad days. Mm. And I, I just, that resonated so much because sometimes it really feels like we're not going to make it through, you mm-hmm. know, whether it's a day, whether it's a month, whether it's years yeah. that you are just in it and mm-hmm. you are trying to have that hindsight. And sometimes you can't always find it. Yeah. That is so hard and yeah. I think it's important during that time too to again, just let it be hard. And I think one thing that I really had to work on going through that time was not trying to cover it up with false positivity and just understand, you know, Hey, like 
I, this is hard and acknowledge that like, yes, like this, this isn't great. This isn't fun. This is tough, but still, you know, really trying to be conscious about that hindsight, like you were talking about and coming back to myself and that self-love and saying, but you know what, you're tougher, you know, we get through this. I may not see it right now. I may not know why I'm going through it, but I'm choosing to believe and to trust that there is a reason and that I will get something out of this, yes. even if I can't see it right now. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, the opposite of kind of hindsight is something I use in my daily life. And I would imagine um, to go after your dreams, it could probably be applicable to yours, but did you ever find yourself using the power of visualization for the future? Did that play into your career in life? And does it still? Quite a bit. Um, I, it's really interesting probably a little bit less so now. And I think mm-hmm. that's because I need to rethink my definition of visualization. Cause I think mm. exactly that is so literal to us, right? Like our yeah. visualization was literally, I mean, before me sitting down and visualizing, visualizing our race from start to finish, all of our stroke counter kicks off the wall. Like it was so I mean, this, that, like numbers, everything. It was so wonderful. Um, And so it's interesting that um, I love that you bring that up because now you're getting my wheels turning that like, of course, there's a way to do that. That's not sports related. Like how do you visualize, you know, where you want to go and what your dreams are now and what your goals look like. And it doesn't necessarily have to be, you know, timing yourself with your eyes closed and trying to go time. (laughs) Like, Like so many different things, but I think I've always, and I will continue to always have goals and aspirations. Um, and I'm very adamant about writing those out and kind of having that stepping stone plan of, all right, what are, what are the steps of action? What are, what do I need to do in order to see these be achieved and how do I get there? And I think visualization is just a wonderful tool to help with that because it really, again, I think instills that confidence in and of yourself and Mm -hmm. just feel really sure that this is where you want to go. You know, when you visualize something, you know, it's going to fill you with, with pride, with joy, with excitement and following those feelings. Again, those feelings of love and passion and letting those lead you to wherever you're meant to go in life. Yeah. That is a really important distinction. I didn't even think of it like that way about how literal, literal it must've been because I use visualization now and most of it is just life things and career things. Um, and it's very nonspecific actually. I've kind of whittled it down to if I have a goal or something I'm trying to achieve, what is the feeling I'm after? Right. And then I try and feel that in my body now. So it's like not even because, you know, there really isn't a way to know or I mean, you can close your eyes and see yourself, you know, in a situation of something that you're trying to achieve and and you achieving it. But I think at the end of the day, what is the most powerful is that when you can feel that in your body, um, you get really in tune with what that feels like. And if you can feel that now, then, you know, the law of attraction and all that good stuff kind of um, works in your favor, if you will. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. So um, who have been your biggest mentors and teachers? Oh my gosh, I have had so many on my journey that I am just so grateful for. My mom is my number one, hands down. Um, She is my greatest mentor, my greatest inspiration. 
my dad, of course, going along with that. I mean, the two of them um, together, the three of us as a family, as I've already talked so much about, we just made so many decisions together as a family and we're really able to come together and they're just, they're brilliant. They've taught me so much about life and about people and about what's important. And then obviously coaches throughout my career, coaches play a huge role, um, especially in an, in an athlete's life. And I've learned, you know, really wonderful and really hard lessons through a lot of the coaches that I've had. And I'm so grateful for those experiences, athletes that I've looked up to. I mean, teammates that I've had that have taught me so, so, so much. Now my husband is probably my greatest mentor. I learn more from him every day than I thought mm-hmm. you could learn from another human being. So I really, and that's why I'm always so adamant about making sure that, you know, credit is given where credit is due. And I, I talked a lot about that after I won my first gold medal, because it was almost frustrating getting up there and being on the podium by myself and receiving that because it was like, I need my mom. I need my dad, yeah. my coach, I need my teammates. Like I, like I need all of these people up here and they all need to be getting one of these two. Yeah. Yeah. No way. But I would be getting this without them. Like it's just, it wouldn't have been possible. And so that's always something too, that I just, I feel again, so grateful for our mentors and the people I've had in my life that have just continued to teach me and help me grow and help me be, you know, the best version of myself that I can be. Yeah. And I think when you have kind of the best of both worlds, obviously you have an amazing sense of intrinsic motivation and ambition and drive and talent and gifts. And then when you can surround yourself with really supportive people, like, I think that that just, it's a very powerful thing. So that's amazing. Um, so I want to shift gears a little bit to talk about kind of health and the physical side of things. Um, because I imagine that maintaining health and eating well and taking care of yourself and your body is something that you value. Um, but let's keep it kind of present day, just given our time, how are some, what are some of the ways that, you know, you do take care of yourself? Yeah. So, I mean, it's, it's, it's very interesting. I think that was actually one of the hardest transitions mm. because you go from working out four to six hours a day to, you know, and eating, having to maintain a diet of upwards of 4,000 calories. Um, that's all healthy, but still right. that that's high caloric because of how much exercise you're doing and trying to retain and gain muscle. And, and so to go from that to retirement, right? Like, it's not like when you retire from a sport, there's like a slow kind of decline from it. It's like, okay, I'm going from swimming four to six hours a day to now my choice. Like I get to wake up and do whatever I get to do. And that was actually the most fun part for me was obviously I love swimming. I loved being able to do it every day, but I knew every day when I woke up that that's what I was going to be doing. Yeah. <laughs> I retired, it was so wonderful. And I think I learned so much about, and I'm still learning about body awareness and emotional awareness where I wake mm. up and I'm kind of having to say, how do I feel? You know, what, what do I feel like doing today? You know, what's going to bring me joy? What's going to challenge me? And, and I have so many different options now, which is so awesome and so much fun. And so I think for me, I, 
I'm still on that space where I actually kind of have to force myself to take a day off once a week, which I had to do when I was swimming as well. Um, I know I'm hoping that that gets a little bit easier over time, but I can still be pretty hard on myself. And so that's something that I've really had to focus on is, you know, getting up and moving my body because it feels good because it's good for me because Mm -hmm. at the rest of my day up really well and not because it's something that I feel like I have to do. Yes. I want to do. And so that's definitely something that I've gotten a lot better at. And then I love to cook. Um, I love learning new things in the kitchen. And I think one of the things, one of the most important things I learned as an athlete is you can work as hard as you possibly want in the water, but if you're not fueling your body with what you need to, that's essentially going to waste. Like our bodies are machines and you are going to get out of them what you put into them. And so that really carried over of, you know, if I want to wake up every day and move my body and feel good, I want to put good things into my body too. And I want to enjoy it, you know, eating healthy can be so fun and wonderful. And it doesn't have to be this awful, miserable, restrictive experience. Like you can still have all the things that you enjoy and love. And Sarah, that's what I love so much about what you guys do and what gratified is all about. And your cookbook is it's like you, you can still have so much joy and eat things that are so delicious and so wonderful that are nourishing your body at the same time. And that takes, you know, time for people to figure out. But I think what's kind of wrong with the way that we view health in our society is we kind of are under this impression that, oh, I'm going to be really healthy for this certain amount of time. Right. And then whatever we did during that time isn't sustainable. And we end up reverting back to those old habits. And we're so quick. We want to see those results so quickly that we kind of go to those drastic measures instead of understanding that, you know, your health is a marathon. It is not a sprint. Yeah. It's about setting the foundation and, you know, really getting habits in your life that are setting you up for success 10, 20, 30, 40 years down the road, not just so you fit in a suit that you want to fit in for the summer, you know, like it's much bigger than all that, which is fine too, of course. Right. Like, yeah, no, nothing wrong with that. Yeah. But it's setting up those, those good habits and those thoughts and, and finding joy in that because it's your life. Right. right. And I think the more we can find and feel health and have energy to do the things that we want with the people we want to do them with, like, those are the things that bring me the most joy. For sure. And there's just so many amazing little nuggets that you could unpack in what you just said. And I think, you know, for people to shift their why and their motivating factor from something again, that's um, more ephemeral or external, like the vacation or the number on the scale or what have you to have it be something that's always there, just wanting to feel good in your body. And, you know, for people who are listening, who might not have the whole day to be able to kind of create and be open, um, like you were saying, but the one thing that you can do first thing in the morning is literally put one hand on your heart, one hand on your belly and just say, how am I feeling this morning? You know, how do I feel in my body? And I think that that is so beautiful that you start your day that way. And then just knowing that movement, um, and fueling your body with really healthy, nutritious food, um, is something that is going to keep that good feeling continuing. Um, and that is a reason enough to be able to make those choices. Absolutely. Yeah. And 
all, I mean, just like the million of effects that's going to have on everything else too. Like, I think something that's so important that I've learned too. And again, going back to, you know, having to kind of rewire myself to not feel like I'm being egotistical if I'm talking about self-love or not feeling that I'm being selfish if I'm taking time for myself, because I love this concept that in order to pour into other people's cups, our own cup must be full. We can't pour from empty cups. So for me, what makes that cup full is moving my body, is eating healthy, is getting a really good sleep at night. You know, all of these things that, you know, on paper or to some like may sound selfish, it's the opposite of that. You know, self-care is not selfish because you are showing up for yourself and are therefore going to be able to show up for everyone else around you. Exactly. Which is a really good segue into, um, another fun fact of, you know, Missy and I both being pregnant at the same time. (laughs) Missy's about six weeks. uh, Four people on this podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Um, that you're about six weeks behind me, but, um, I think that those are really good points. And I would just be curious to know how kind of being pregnant has shifted the way that you feel in your body and what that has kind of meant for you. And also how you plan to maintain your self-care into motherhood. Yeah. My gosh, this is such a good question. Um, you know, it, it's such a miracle. And I want to be careful when I talk about this, because a, I want to start off by saying that I have been so blessed. This has been a very easy pregnancy. So Mm -hmm. I know that many women are not that fortunate. Mm -hmm. Um, I didn't have morning sickness, any nausea. I have not had any complications, knock on wood. So I fully recognize that this is not the case for so many women and that Mm -hmm. can come along with so many other things. I feel so blessed to be healthy and and to have a healthy baby right now. And I've just been loving every single second of it. I think nothing really makes a woman, or at least for me, nothing has ever made me feel more in tune with my body than Mm -hmm. how I feel right now. I mean, I've wanted to be pregnant literally since I was a little girl. Um, Being a mom to me has been my number one dream goal for my entire life and being pregnant has just been something that I've looked forward to more than anything. And to have the experience of literally feeling this human being growing inside of you and learning about your body and and how it grows this amazing thing and gives it fingers and toes and heart and then how you're able to deliver and the beauty of labor and how your body's able to like, it's almost overwhelming, like how well, our body knows how to do this. And so I'm just learning so much about trust and that's helped me so much in my journey while being pregnant is just Mm -hmm. listening to your body. How are you feeling? How much energy do you have today? Do you need to rest? Do you want to get outside? Do you need fresh air? And so that's really what I'm going to try and continue moving on to postpartum is just that trust of my body Mm -hmm. and really setting a no pressure expectation really for anything regarding my body in terms of look or weight, but all just feel, you know, how am I feeling? You know, how can I help myself to recover the best that I possibly can? I really hope that I can breastfeed. That's something that I want to do. So that's going to be an entirely different change. But for me, it's really just about accepting that my body is doing everything in bringing this little baby to life. And I, I posted something on Instagram the other day 
that I saw my first little stretch marks. Uh, I don't know about you, but like I start off in the morning and I'm like, okay, yeah, like I look, I look pretty pregnant. And then by the end of the day, I'm like knocking things over my belly. I'm like, okay, I look like I'm having triplets. Cool. Um, but so like late at night before bed, I saw a few little stretch marks and I texted my husband and I was like, honey, I see stretch marks. And he was like, stretch marks, like, let's go. And I, yeah. was, like, that. I was like, kind of hype man that like every woman needs. Yeah. And I know no one meant anything by it, but I got so many responses about how to get rid of them and about mm. the help. And I know that that was coming from such a good place from so many people, but it mm-hmm. kind of made me sad that that was like the first place we go is like, oh, stretch yeah. marks. Oh, how do we get rid of them? How do we stop them? Or meanwhile, yeah. I'm like, stretch marks? My baby's growing. Yeah. Like, like, we're going to have a baby. Like, look at my body go. This is awesome. <laughs> such a good <laughs> attitude. <laughs> Again, like, I know I'm 100% coming from a place of privilege and having had a very easy pregnancy, but. I think just having trust in your body and accepting the changes, you know, as, as much as you can, because they're bringing your child into this world. And that's such a beautiful thing. And obviously that's going to be a whole different transition postpartum, but, um, I feel like I'm learning a lot right now. That's going to help me get through that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I have a feeling it's just going to be a big learning experience for the next 50 years. A hundred percent. Okay. Well, I want to respect your time and this conversation has been absolutely amazing and I've learned so much about you and you've taught me. I'm just so glad that even what you just said about, you know, having that attitude about your body. I'm like, yeah, I needed to hear that. So thank you personally. And I'm sure other people are probably nodding their heads. Um, And before I get to my final question, which I ask everybody, let's share with people where they can find you. Perfect. Yeah, of course. So I am, I try to be good at social media. I'll be honest. I'm not the best at it. I'm definitely the most active on Instagram. Um, and I'm Missy Franklin 88 on there. I have a Facebook Missy Franklin. I have a Twitter Missy Franklin. Um, but Instagram is definitely where I feel like I'm able to interact the most with people. So if you guys feel like reaching out on there, I'd absolutely love that. Oh, that's so fun. Um, okay. So before we sign off, I do ask everyone, I know that we have, um, kind of touched on this, but I'm have a fascination with morning routines. Yeah. So if you could just kind of quickly go over what your morning routine looks like, if you have one, um, I would love to hear it. Oh my gosh. Okay. So I swear on my heart, I am not just saying this because I'm, I'm on your podcast, but literally I wake up every morning. Um, I'm just an early bird. My husband and I both are. So we don't really wake up any later than six on any given day. I love to get my workouts in, in the morning. Cause I feel mm-hmm. like that just sets me up really well, but I am not one of those people that can work out on an empty stomach. Mm-hmm. So I wake up every morning, I make a little cup of coffee, I pull out either my empower bar or my empower cacao bar. Oh, I yeah, love it, it with dairy free cream cheese and chia <laughs> seeds because I want to make sure I'm getting enough calcium during pregnancy. And I'm not kidding. I have a bar. I have a gratified bar every single morning before I work out. Cause it's the perfect amount of fuel. It fuels me through my whole workout, but it doesn't feel heavy. It's never too, like, it's just the perfect amount of everything. It tastes so good. Oh my gosh. I've never been so proud of my bars. <laughs> <laughs> I get my workout in and then I'll start getting ready for the rest of my day. But that's literally what I do every single morning. And I'm actually like low key freaking out because I didn't time it right this time. 
where I try to order my next package of bars before I run out. And I had the last <laughs> bar this morning. And I think my new bars aren't supposed to get here till like tomorrow or Thursday. Oh, no. I'm freaking out. I'm like, what am I going to do in the morning? What am I going to eat? <laughs> I wish I could share one with you through the screen. <laughs> oh man. What is your favorite way to work out? Um, right now I would say I'm actually really loving, we have the Peloton treadmill. Mm -hmm. Um, so I'm loving doing hikes on the tread, especially while it's still a little too cold outside right now. That's one of my favorite ways of exercise regardless, but doing hikes on the tread, keeping it a little bit more low impact. And then I've been loving doing bar throughout my pregnancy as well. That's great. Um, great. It really has been helping with being aware of my pelvic floor and focusing on my full 360 diaphragmatic breathing and just bringing a lot of attention to those things. And again, it's super low impact, but um, sore as anything the next day, which always makes me feel so good. Yeah, it's an amazing exercise and um, that's fun that we both teach it. But yes, especially during pregnancy, it is fabulous. I actually like upped the number that I was teaching because I, with how busy we've been with gratitude, I'm not able to actually get to class. But when I teach, I actually um, get probably the best <laughs> exercise and get my heart rate up more than I do in anything else. So everyone was like, thank you so much for putting a new class on the schedule. And I was like, Oh, I'm kind of selfish about it. This is about me. Yeah. Oh, Missy, thank you so much. This was so fun. And, um, I hope we have future conversations and it's just such a, pleasure and joy to know you and to be able to even have this talk. So, um, thank you so much for being, you know, a part of our community and on this podcast. And, um, I just, I'm very honored that you were able to share more about yourself and your story. No, it's my pleasure, Sarah. Thank you so much for having me. I'm sure we'll have many more conversations like this, but thank you. I feel like, just like you said, I learned so much from you during this time. And I'm just so grateful to call you a friend and Mm -hmm. definitely an inspiration with everything that you do and the way that you, you try so hard to reach out and help others and to educate. It's, it's really amazing. So thank you for everything that you do. Thank you so much. Um, you make me cry. (laughs) 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 All right, my dear, well, you have a good rest of your day and I will talk to you soon. All right. Okay. Bye. Thank you so much for listening to the Healthified podcast and hope you enjoyed this episode. If it resonated with you, please share it with a friend or rate and review the podcast, which helps us share the health with more people. For further learning, be sure to check out the linked resources in the show notes and you can connect with us on Instagram at Healthified and at Gratified. Until next time.